So we're here. Uh, we're kind of Corey Feldman fans. Can you tell us any stories about working with Corey Feldman on set? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, at the time, he was kind of the biggest person I had ever worked with or had the chance to work with. I mean, besides like a few interviews that I had done uh, for other what, other things, but not my own thing. Um, I will say he showed up like with an entire entourage of like 30, <laughs> 30 people. Um, nice. And before he went inside, he had he has this bodyguard who's fully armed, right? Fully oh armed, looks like a cross between like DMX and an NFL linebacker. And <laughs> he's like six six, like jacked. He has like a muscle shirt on, and he he literally like walks into this. We we shot uh, all Corey scenes in this like it's like a McMansion essentially. It's like a two point five million dollar home in in uh, Studio City, California. Crack open a cold box of wine or pour something cold on ice because it's the Binge Watchers Podcast. Tonight, we're brought to you by Shudder.com. If you want to try Shudder, go to Shudder.com. You can try it free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com, and you're going to enter the promo code BINGEWATCHERS. Tonight, we're actually joined by a horror movie director and writer, Edward Payson. Edward, what's up, man? Nothing much, man. Trying to uh, just be in this quarantine and not kill myself. So I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Yeah, vicarious living. You know, Just watch a bunch of horror stuff, and you'll get that energy out. You know, And it'll be all right. Well, one would think so. One would think so, but I feel like my my hips no longer exist. I've been sitting so much. Oh, you just feel, have you fused into your couch or your chair? Is that what you're saying? You just mutated into into your chair there? Yeah, I just get up and I feel like my legs are just like spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I feel you. Yeah, I, I definitely think like you have the imagination for the stuff that you're you're doing. That's for sure. Um. If you're ready, we'll roll right into what we have to ask you, if you're cool with that. Perfect. All right, right on. Um, so do you recall the first horror movie that you saw and why it had such a huge impact on you? Yeah, uh, the first horror movie I saw was actually by accident. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents got divorced really, really – when I was really young, uh, um, around six years old. And my dad, just like 15 months later, ended up remarrying and he lived across town. And uh, I only saw him uh, every other weekend. And uh, he was actually a gunsmith of all things, so he'd make like bullets and and weapons oh, and had wow. his own yeah had his own um, had his own shop. And he you know he he worked like pretty much eighty hours a week. So even when we were there, he would have to take a few hours and and work and make some bullets for the Monday that we were going to be there or that he was going to be at work when we were there on the weekend. Um, so one time I came down and he was watching Night of the Living Dead on like a two by five black and white TV. And he's like, oh, no, you can watch this. Like, and I remember, you know, I was way too young. I was probably like seven or eight years old. And I was just like terrified for weeks. Uh, but then all of a sudden I got I got the bug and um, it became like this, you know, this taboo thing that like every time I went to my dad's house, I was able to watch these movies I wasn't supposed to be watching. Uh, and I had a stepmom who was kind of like, kind of a bitch. Sorry if I can't swear on here. Um, and she, she like, like didn't care about the rules at my actual house. So she like tried to implement her rules that she had with her kids, where it was like we could only watch G-rated films and stuff. I, was like, I don't like any of this shit. Um, so like, my dad would literally send her out on like tasks by herself that he knew would take a long time, so we could watch like Leprechaun and stuff like that, and. He wasn't he wasn't a total savage. He'd like fast forward through the nudity, but like all the violence and everything was fair game. So uh yeah, Night of the Living Dead kinda was the the spark and then from then on I just really, really got into horror through high school. Um was looking into all the obscure stuff. Um I worked at Hollywood Videos, so like we got a lot of stuff that like I never you know, just saw in my circle of friends and from there, I just knew I wanted to make movies, and, and it kind of sparked my interest. Oh man, did you say, did you say you worked at Hollywood Video? 
Yeah, I worked at Hollywood Video for like two years, uh, end of high school into first year of college. Wow. I was a I was a store manager in training at the old Blockbuster when I was going to film school. That was my, you know, that's how I got the, you know, could afford burritos back in the day. You know, that's Hell so yeah. funny. So, uh, <laughs> oh man, I can relate to that. I can also relate to like how you grew up and watched those movies. Um, but if you had to narrow down your passion, if you can only choose one, and I know it's difficult, but if like it was just writing the scary movies or directing, you know, all the terror, what could you settle on one? And if so, which one? I don't know if I could settle on one because, I mean, I'll tell you what I like. I like directing a lot more than I do writing. I hate writing. I hate it. Hmm. it. I love I love having a finished script in front of you, but, like, it's so hard for me having, like, this ADD, like, probably, like, 10-year-old's mind where I just want to <laughs> do all this stuff and, you know, uh, you know, go all these places and do all these things to actually get myself to sit down and actually write is, is very, very hard for me to do. Um but, you know, directing just kind of comes like second nature to me where I just uh, I love being around people. I love uh, being around people that kind of share the passion and horror that I do. And I feel like if I was doing other movies, you don't really get that kind of um, camaraderie that you do with people that are kind of known in the horror game or, or known as horror actors or horror actresses. Um, they they kind of know like what 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 they're in for and that kind of like brings everything to a whole new level. Well, so um, getting that perspective, it sounds like you're talking about the journey almost. So what, what can you describe the road from going like from micro budget horror stuff to moving into like more mainstream? Sure. Yeah. I, I wouldn't still, I still wouldn't to this day consider myself mainstream. I do have a, my biggest movie coming out, which is, uh, which is bits um, about a haunted Sega Genesis game. Um, <laughs> And nice. that one we got, <laughs> that one we got quite a bit more than I'm, I'm used to. All of a sudden, like, you know, I, on my typical set, my low budget sets, I, I rarely get a chair. And then, uh, you know, I go to set first day here, and they're like, "Oh, Mr. Payson, here's your trailer. Uh, we'll tell you when the set's ready for you." And I'm just like, "Wait, what? <laughs> uh, what, what, what happened?" <laughs> yeah. Um, but but to to answer your question, it just. Um, I never took no for an answer, even when I was supposed to be doing short films or people thought I wasn't like uh, experienced enough to be making films, uh, feature films. I was doing it. Um, so like my first feature film, it didn't really go anywhere besides a DVD off my website, which is now defunct. But um, we went to a bunch of festivals and, and basically what I what my mindset was, was I'm not going to wait these two years in college to do all these general education requirements and started making film with my friends on the weekends, a full 90-page feature film with 70 actors. Uh, it took like two and a half years to make, um, but honestly, I wouldn't give it back for the world. Like, yeah, is it the best film? No, but uh, I still talk to a lot of those people to this day. And honestly, like every single film from then on, um, when it comes to like budget and, and moving forward, it's all having to do with either people that I work with on past feature films or people that I work with on commercials. Cause that's kind of my day job is um, I'm a commercial director as well. And I've done like close to 300 commercials now. Hmm. Uh, nice. Thanks. Um, yeah. So like all these things, like kind of uh, I, I meet one person and they're like, Oh, I know this person that's trying to get a horror movie off the ground. Or I know this person who has a budget, but they don't have a script. And it's kind of just, uh, meeting all these people and making a good impression on all these people and being easy to work with, I think. Nice. Hey, I'm Adam, by the way. Um, <laughs> I got the next couple questions. Awesome. So, uh, what is, uh, uh, tell us what Halloween Wars was really like behind the scenes. Oh, it was it was pretty much a shit show for the most part. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> the rumors are true. <laughs> I, I love the honesty. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was there season, I believe season one, and in season one they really didn't know how the show was going to play out, uh, and also it was like taking three shows they already had and just throwing them together for a Halloween special. And I think when I was there, if I remember correctly, they had had four judges for the four weeks of Halloween and three out of four of those judges dropped out last minute and they had to do like these replacements. Um, 
they originally had like Michelle Trachtenberg. I don't know what she has to do with horror, but she was one of the judges. Um, and they had like John Carpenter and they had like a few others. Uh, but when I was there, the judges that we ended up getting were Rob Zombie once, uh, R.L. Stein, Scout Taylor, <laughs> Scout Taylor Compton. And then I think they brought back Rob Zombie again for a second time. Um, and I actually had to go to the airport and pick up R.L. Stein in my little tiny car that was like <laughs> full of like Taco Bell wrappers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was nice. like a low budget show. They like shot in like Van Nuys, California in like the crappiest studio ever. Like you go outside, and it was like you're going to get shot or stabbed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, it was a non union show and, uh, they just had us there, as, especially as a PA. I was there for like 12 hours a day with just a half-hour break, um, pretty much just going and picking up stuff and then coming back and cleaning the mess these people would make. Nice. Um, Bits sounds really fascinating. Um, uh, just reading a little bit about it on IMDb earlier in the week. Um, how'd, you, how'd you get such a great cast? Dominique Swain? D. Wallace, both legends. I mean, you stuck, <laughs> stack the deck here. Yeah, um, well, the way I wrote the script, I, I kind of wrote it so we could get as many small cameos as possible. Uh, D was one of the larger roles. Dominique Swain was the, was a one-day role, but we also got, like, James Duvall, who was the bunny in Donnie Darko. Um, nice. We got Bill Oberst Jr., who's kind of a big horror name and up-and-coming and, and kind of, like, He's, he's like the, the it guy these days. Um, he'll, he'll do anything. It's, it's so strange. Like he used to be, he used to be a uh, preacher, like a traveling preacher for like 15 years. Then all of a sudden like says, I'm going to get it. I'm not only going to get into horror films. I'm going to be the guy that, uh, you know, will show his penis in horror films and have it get bit off by a demon or something. Like, <laughs> I like this guy. He's literally down for anything. And he's like the nicest guy in the world, but we got him. Um, we got Najara Townsend from the uh, um, Contracted series. Um, but, yeah, basically what we did was we – the first thing we did was we were going to do all this ourselves. But then one of our producers had the idea to hire Jordan Bass Casting, and they kind of uh, made all the calls, and we just kind of had to pay the paychecks, and, and that's hmm. kind of how that happened. But uh, D. Wallace actually wasn't even uh, involved with the film at first – we wanted her, but she wasn't available. We had to push shooting uh, from our original dates because we just had some stuff that wasn't lined up yet as far as locations. And then the actress that we had that, that was there in front of, front of D. Wallace was um, um, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, who is Michelle Pfeiffer's sister, who was in some horror movies back in the 80s and 90s and stuff. I remember her, yeah. Yeah, she, she um, had some kind of like – emergency where it was like a hospital emergency and she had to drop out like literally three days before shooting so we called back to see if you know for whatever reason d was available and the movie that she was on wasn't doing it anymore and we ended up getting her on three days notice um and she shot with us for four or five days magic yeah (laughs) all right so let's talk about the sunday night slaughter we know there was a previously an Indiegogo release. What are you allowed or willing to tell us about the upcoming film? Uh, I can tell you whatever. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, what what happened with that was um, we started off way back in 2014. Um, It was supposed to be like a web series, and we shot the first two episodes, then realized, like, hey, we have all this amazing equipment, and we have access to all these, like, really talented people. And at that point, web series were kind of like, Eh, like people weren't really caring about or watching web series anymore. It was all about just like short form one minute content on YouTube and stuff. So it was like, why don't I rework these and we do a feature anthology film? So I then spent about a year um, reworking and, and taking all these separate scripts that I had planned to do as separate episodes uh, that had nothing to do with each other and kind of like revamping them and making them so they all work together and you'd see characters from one and another one and not know there were big characters in a later one and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of Easter eggs throughout it. Um, and then decided, like, okay, we're, let's shoot this thing. And we started shooting that in 2016. Uh, and again, it was one of those things where it was like, 
each episode pretty much had a different cast, so we then had to make sure all these people were available. We had a lot of favors we had to ask for because it wasn't the largest budget that we had uh, available to us. It was a non-union film, so we were you know, just kind of digging deep into our pockets, asking friends, asking, asking friends who had big houses if we could use their houses, all that kind of stuff, and uh, we eventually were able to shoot it, and now it's in post-production and should come out around the same time as Bits. Amazing. That's, that's awesome. So this is Nick, by the way. Um, I wanted to ask you, where did the idea come from? The idea for um, for the Sunday Night Slaughter specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had all these all these scripts over the years from like way back all the way to you know 2004, um, just short films that I had never done anything with that I either wanted to do something with but I couldn't afford it or uh, they just kind of fell by the, the wayside because I started working on other things, other people's things or something. Um, and it actually happened when I was switching computers. I was going through all the stuff from my old computer that I wanted to save, and I just you know refound all these scripts, and I was like, whoa let me do something with these. I'm not doing anything right now. So it kind of started there. That was kind of the spark of let's do a web series. And then that all evolved from there. That's, I love that you like went through an old computer. I, I, I've had that happen so many times. You're like, that was a really good idea. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, us here at binge watchers, especially me, we love anthologies. We just re binge the uh, creep show series, the movies and the new series on shutter. And I just have, this is a two part question. What attracts you to directing horror and th- directing and writing horror anthologies? And then, do you have a favorite one that inspired you? Yeah, I would say the one I was most inspired by is Trick or Treat. Uh, I oh, love that. Yes, I mean, I, I love, love Creepshow and stuff, but uh, I watched a double feature the first time. Like, I hadn't even seen Trick or Treat, but I saw it as a double feature with Creepshow at the New Beverly Cinema, um, which Perfect is like Tarantino's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I just love the rewatchability, especially with all the Easter eggs and stuff. I was like, I want to do that someday. And it just so happens, like, four years later, I decided to do it. So, or four or five years later, I decided to do it. Um, what what inspires me to do it? I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'll make a habit of doing it. Um, all the other anthologies I've been a part of, I've just kind of contributed my short film into, like, a large anthology with a bunch of different filmmakers. That's kind of what happened with um, – I ha- had my sh- – thesis film actually from college that I did nothing with um, except like showed on YouTube that was just released as part of a trauma compilation called um, Grindsploitation 4 Meltsploitation so all the films are about like melting and body horror and stuff oh I love that (laughs) itch yeah So we're here, uh, we're kind of Corey Feldman fans. Can you tell us any stories about working with Corey Feldman on set? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, at the time, he was kind of the biggest person I had ever worked with or had the chance to work with. I mean, besides like a few interviews that I had done uh, for other other things, but not my own thing. Um, I will say he showed up like with an entire entourage of like 30, <laughs> 30 people. Um, nice. And before he went inside, he had he has this bodyguard who's fully armed, right? Fully oh armed, looks like a cross between like DMX and an NFL linebacker. And <laughs> he's like six six, like jacked. He has like a muscle shirt on, and he he literally like walks into this. We we shot uh, all Corey scenes in this like it's like a McMansion essentially. It's like a two point five million dollar home in in uh, Studio City, California. That's all like a smart house on the inside and everything. It's like clearly everything was on the up and up, but he like went in and acted like he was like a, like a SWAT person, like going around the corners and everything. And I was like, yeah, dude, we're, you know, we, we are what we say we are. We've already given them the down payment. Like we're, we're not, you know, bullshitting here. Uh, he's like, <laughs> honestly, he's like, honestly, I'm just making sure it's not a birthday. Sometimes people will pay his day rate to have a Ninja Turtles birthday or something when he shows up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, yeah. So like he, he, he was great. Like he, uh, he was a fruititarian, which we weren't told beforehand. So we had to send someone out to get all these like fancy fruits and stuff for him and his, uh, his now wife, girlfriend at the time, uh, to, to, you know, just actually have something to eat and all that kind of stuff. But he was really cool at the end of shooting. He, uh, one of our nerdy producers brought a Goonies lunchbox and he like signed that. And then, 
Then he got upset because he's like, I don't think they told me this product line was out and I should be getting royalties on this. And, Whoa. <laughs> wow. But no, he took pictures. He did like a, a little bit of publicity for us and stuff. And funny enough, in the movie, he plays um, he plays a, a guy like a like a Chris Hansen type of person who catches sexual predators. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, he's oh wow! Appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And then his, yeah, his documentary, his truth documentary, just came out, right? Yeah. Weirdly so enough. Weirdly enough, before we shot, I had I knew nothing about any of that. Like we didn't plan that. That was just oh, you didn't even know. Incident. Oh wow! No. None of that came out. None of that ever like was even um, in the works yet or anything. And wow. then uh, we keep hearing about this other film that you have coming out called Our Friend John. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually just came out three weeks ago. It's a documentary uh, um, really near and dear to my heart. Um, where, I, where I'm from, New Hampshire, I had a friend, John, who passed away from sickle cell anemia. Uh, really my brother's best friend. Um, and before he died, he was writing a script for a horror film that he wanted to make with his friends, which he never got to actualize. And then upon his passing, they decided they were going to make it in his honor. And they all have disabilities themselves and met up this program that helps um, people with disabilities live more normal lives after high school. Because for the most part, uh, when it comes to disabilities, like most places in America, most states aren't equipped to – um, do anything with people that have disabilities after high school. They kind of like fast track them on like a program that's not a college level program. So they have nowhere to go after and they end up staying at home with a parent or guardian for the rest of their lives, not really having any kind of like outlet. Um, and our state was lucky enough in New Hampshire to have this uh, program called living innovations. And so each of them gets like an aid that takes them out and helps them, you know, meet more people that have similar problems, do normal things like go to bars and, and go to social gatherings and shop for themselves and find them employment and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Oh, wow. That's pretty genuine. So glad you're doing that for your friends and stuff. Uh, well, Ed, Ed, you're the real deal, man. You know, we, I know. we appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me. If you want to support like a movie like Our Friend John, what can they do for you? Uh, well, right now it is on Vimeo on demand. You can you can watch the whole movie. I think it's like a dollar ninety nine. Um, it's on Roku TV. It's on Fire Stick TV. Uh, it's on Apple TV. And then in a few weeks, we're just waiting on uh, Amazon to put it on Amazon Prime. There you have a they have a backlog right now. It was supposed to be there on April thirteenth. So they have a little bit of a backlog because all the mm. employees aren't there for coronavirus. But eventually, you can also watch it there. Uh, and in the meantime, you can watch um, some of my other stuff. You just put Edward Payson into an Amazon search. A bunch of movies that I directed or contributed to will come up on there as well. Nice. Nice. All right. So tonight we're brought to you by Shudder. That's a premium video service brought to you by AMC Networks, offering an unbeatable selection of expertly curated supernatural thrillers, uncut and commercial-free with exclusive and original titles you're not going to find anywhere else. You can start your free trial today, risk-free. You can stream these thrillers and horror movies and suspense for only $5.99 a month. They're actually considered the Netflix for horror films. They got spine-tingling thrillers, edge-of-your-seat suspense that's added weekly. You're going to get unlimited access to that to stream ad-free on your favorite devices like your iPhone, your Apple TV, or your Roku device, or RockU, however you say that thing. They're not our sponsors, so it doesn't matter. Moving on. Or your Google device. <laughs> uh, they also have a unique collection of exclusive original films and horror classics. Like right now, they got like a Dario Argento collection, a horror comedy thing, classic slashers. Um, when I was on there, I was really pleasantly surprised by a movie about a pizza delivery girl called uh, Satanic Panic. I thought that was pretty entertaining. Also, the new Creep Show blows my mind. I mean, they brought it back, and one of my favorite stories was Finger, about this little monster that grows out of a finger. I don't want to give too much away. You'll have to check it out if you get on Shudder. And then, one of the best movies I've ever seen has been added as a Shudder exclusive. It's called Mandy. You should definitely uh, check that out. What about you guys? You guys cruising through Shudder? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just watch one this afternoon. What'd you watch? <clears throat> I watched one called Z, which is about a boy and his evil imaginary friend. Kind of eh, take it. I'll let you go watch it yourself. And um, another good one on there is called One Cut of the Dead, which is a zombie movie that from Korea, I think. Or, but that's worth a watch. I think that's another Shutter exclusive. 
I watched Brain Dead about a guy who picks up a parasite, an ancient parasite that eats people's brains and doses him with nice. like, his brain with like psychedelic yeah. visions so he doesn't have to care about the fact that it's eating people. Nice. So if you want to get started, yeah. And if you guys out there want to get started streaming the horror and thriller and supernatural content, you got Shudder's expertly curated collection, which includes titles like Tigers Are Not Afraid, as Dave said, One Cut of the Dead, Revenge, and the new Creepshow series that I mentioned a little while ago. If you want to try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use our promo code BINGEWATCHERS. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R, Shudder.com, and remember to use our promo code BINGEWATCHERS, which is the name of our show. So you should be able to figure it out and Shudder together and stay home and watch a bunch of horror films. Guys, speaking of horror films, let's rip into this thing called Mandy. How about that? Holy cow. Let's do it. Good. The opening scroll or text, if you will, in the beginning of the movie says, When I die, bury me deep, lay two speakers at my feet, put some headphones on my head, and rock and roll me when I'm dead. It appears to come from the final words of Douglas Roberts, a man convicted of kidnapping, robbery, and murder in Texas who was executed on April 20th, 2005. Now, you would think it's like a quote from a rock band or something, but I had thought I had seen movies before Mandy. I, I haven't seen shit. A few years ago, yeah. I, I, like, know, right? I feel like, I mean, I've watched thousands of movies, but when I saw this film, I was like, everything else that came before this doesn't even, doesn't even fucking matter anymore. Um, you know, years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this. Maybe I didn't talk to you guys about this, but I was pitching one of my stories as like a whimsical horror movie. And now I'm like, dude, I got to set my sets higher, man. Like, Mandy puts my shit to shame. I got to fucking work harder. Um, Dave, uh, why don't you tell our listeners why they should like this movie? Just give them a little taste, because Dave's the one who pointed me in the direction of Mandy in the first place. Well, I, I don't know, man. You, you choose any day, you know. You can choose any number of things. Is the is it the horror elements? Is it the cinematography? Um, it's got one of the best uh, Cage performances. Um, Cage has kind of been killing it the last few years. Um, he's kind of been making a a comeback in movies like this and Color Out of Space. Um, Nice. I, I don't know. How do you describe this movie, man? It just it it's it has a tone. It has the color palette. Nice. Um, it has demons. It has satanic satanic cults. It has uh, chainsaw well, fights. I, I mean, mean, we're we're about to go really deep on it, but let me just get the oh, tagline yeah. in and then a little history on the filmmaker. So, some time ago in the '80s, a lumberjack and his girlfriend get attacked by drugged out cult members. Now, the lumberjack Red goes on a quest after they mess with his lady Mandy. Right, that's where the title comes from, and then it turns into this ferociously poetic masterpiece of utter darkness, dismay, and the eternal drive to right the wrongs. Now, the filmmaker has said that he was more interested in how stories are told than the stories themselves. He's actually quoted. There's a featurette on Shutter right now, like behind the scenes, and he's saying something to the tune of, "He wants all his films to turn into pop art because he only he was only allowed to read magazines as a kid about horror movie stuff." And study like the poster art, so he was always like trying to guess what the movies were about based on the artwork. And of course, I'm talking about Panos Cosmotis, who's kind of like um, filmmaking royalty. He may have earned his chops on his dad's movie Tombstone when he was just working as like a video assistant. Um, the rumor is, or the story that goes around, or the legend behind this guy is that he saved all of his royalties to finance his first feature, which is called uh, Behind the Black Rainbow, which I guess is also cultish and kind of horror movie stuff too. I haven't actually seen it though. I might go back and investigate it now that I've seen his other movie, and um, and now I want to get find out more about this dude. Um, but Nick, what did his dad do? And in your opinion, what is his dad's best movie? So his dad is George Cosmotis, and he's best known for. Rambo Part 2, Cobra, which both starred Stallone, and the science fiction classic Leviathan, and the critically acclaimed Western Tombstone. And by the way, I freaking love Leviathan. Such a great filmmaker. Um, so do you, do you think best. of that group of films, Leviathan's your favorite? I think so. I don't know why. It just, yeah. And I can see some of that Leviathan in this movie, but not, not hmm. too much. But yeah. Now, Dave, uh, from that list, what do you think is George's best movie? Um, well, I, I mean, I, it's, I have to go with Tombstone. But um, 
Yeah, that's that's my absolute favorite. I saw that in theaters. I love that movie. Um, although, small shout out to a movie that we actually covered on the show also um, called Of Unknown Origin, about a, which is a horror movie of its own about a guy going nuts trying to kill a rat. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> well, that one won a Raspberry Award. I kept it off this because we're talking about like what is critically acclaimed oh, no for way. it. So. Well, the Raspberries have constantly got it wrong. They voted The Shining for the first year, so you can't really go by that. All Did right. they really? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. It, that's... Wow. Hey, it's a world of critics, folks. I don't know what to say. Um, yes. Adam, what do you think from this list? Rambo 2, Cobra, Leviathan, Tombstone. What are your thoughts? You're a daisy if you do. Uh, <laughs> who counted? All day long. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. You know, some people like Wyatt Earp more than they like Tombstone. Just got to put that out no, there. No. Are you kidding who? Me? Tombstone is one that <laughs> You're probably. like, who? Who, just, who likes Wyatt Earp more than Tombstone? Uh, I don't people know. that have not fan, seen Tombstone okay. are the people that like Wyatt <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. All right, all right, all right. Let's not get too sidetracked because we'll spend all night talking about Tombstone versus Wyatt Earp. <laughs> uh, let's get back to Mandy. So I think in a single movie, Panos actually – he's learned from his dad, but I think he surpasses – in my opinion, I think he surpasses his dad as a filmmaker. Um, I don't know if you guys agree. Wow. I, you know, um, he has more to, well, his dad was def- definitely more of a pop, uh, or, a, um, mainstream film director. He, uh, Panos is definitely on his own level. He's definitely, I like that quote you mentioned. He's definitely an artist or he strives yeah. for art. Um, well, I mean, Mandy has won a ton of awards. For instance, it's pretty much won every major award for, in 2019 at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. We're talking about Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting, Best Effects. Then they go on to win an Indie Spirit Award for Best Cinematography. They also show up at the uh, Saturn Awards, which is like a science fiction award. They get Best Film and Best Actor. And then also they get Best Score and Best Stunts. Literally, it's a laundry list. It just keeps going and going and going for this movie. Now, it sounds like we're circle jerking, but whatever. Now we're going to go to First Impressions next. First impression of Mandy. Okay, the first fifteen minutes, I I fell asleep. Like the first time mm-hmm. I watched it, right? Then the next night, I gave it another chance. Once you get past that, I mean, you once you get used to this director's style, and once they get into the meat of this movie, holy cow, does this just? I was blown away. Or everybody's meat because they chop people to pieces. Um, yeah. um, no, you're right. You're right. It's the first I clocked it. I was t- I was tracking it because it, I was like, it is a sleeper in the like beginning. Slow. It's 34 yeah. minutes. Like you have to get to minute 34, and then somebody gets burned alive, and then and then the shit ha- and then the shit hits the fan after that. But um, Dave, first yeah. impressions. Um, I saw this um when it first came out a few years ago. This is I've seen it three times now. Um, wow. Which I can't say that of any movie in the last five years. Um, I, I just loved it. The cinema, the cinematography well deserved all of its awards. It's got an interesting color palette. Um, I've never taken acid, but I have to imagine this might be kind of what that feels like. Um, it's, it's a very trippy, great cage performance. Um, you know, the music is also another great aspect of this movie that I love. For sure. Um, yeah. It's uh, I, I don't agree. I, I, I guess I can see the argument of the first 15 minutes being slow, but I don't know. I just kind of I'm lulled into this world. I actually want to live in this world minus the demons and the killing. I, <laughs> I, I think next time I watch it, I'll be able to like now that I know what I'm in for, I will appreciate those first 15 hmm. minutes. Right. I just think the first time I was like, what the hell? And but don't get me wrong. Watch it. It's great. I can well, see I, that. Like, I, I won't argue against that, but I don't know. I was lulled in from the beginning. Well, I didn't want right. to give – I didn't want to spoil any part I, of this I movie for you guys. Short correction. Uh, correction. If you have watched this movie, then you have taken acid. Oh, uh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, um, anyway. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I was – yeah, Adam chimed in, and then I was trying to say, like uh, – I, I was trying very hard, like, when I, when I told – I wanted to tell you guys to, like, when you watch this, like, really pay attention to it. Like, like yeah. avoid distractions and, like, give it your full attention because it's one of those movies, like, you have to see it a certain way, right? Like, uh, yeah. and I watched it twice because I was like, okay, you know, big screen TV and then, like, the bedroom TV. And I was, like, literally, like, uh, didn't want to have, like, divided attention, right? You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. could tell it was a movie that you have to pay attention to. But um, would, that swings me back around to Adam now because, I mean, you kind of maybe said your first impressions already, but if you have anything to add, you know, about, like, initially going in, into the movie. Well, I tried to watch it with uh, with a friend, and nothing was <laughs> happening for so long that he was, and he was sitting there complaining and trashing it, so I had mm-hmm. to turn it off and watch it alone later. 
And I'm so glad that I watched it without any, like, any naysaying around because it, I was really able to immerse. And right at the that 15-minute mark, now for you, it was 34 minutes, but me, right after 15 minutes, I started to see the pieces starting to come together, and I got excited about where it was going. Yeah. And uh, this weird troop of people that see her on the road, I'm like, oh, I think I know what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's weird stuff going on with this group of people, and it, it, it then it started to suck me in. I didn't realize that they were willing to go as far as they did, and the way that it just unrolled, the way it unrolled was like in real life where like you're on an adventure and shit gets real. I don't know like what you well, guys have to pull from in that regard. but Well, it sounds like, like setting the tone with the couple, it sounds like – it was turning people off until 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 this moment where the the story begins to shift, and then you see what the movie's really mm-hmm. about. But I mean, yeah. he's trying to tell a story and do a, a setup a pro, uh, appropriate way. And I think like you know we're all kind of damned by the lack of attention span that we have. But it, if we were sitting in a theater 20 years ago, we probably would have gone along with it no problem, and we would have been yeah. enthralled by it. Um, you know, that's just deer a, hunter. Yeah, something like that. Um, yep. Now let's let's talk about like specific scenes. Like you mentioned, Deer Hunter, which is a pretty traumatic film, but there's some traumatic shit in this movie too. Um, I'm talking about the burning, like, uh, oh, God. like God, the, that, that was hard to watch. Well, like the fact that they put a person up in a sleeping bag in a tree, and yeah. then and then the person who's in, you know, the a person who cares about that individual is powerless to do anything about it or to change what's about to happen. And we're, it's kind of all – what's weird is if you're really watching the movie, like like I said, you have to be distraction-free because if, if someone comes in and interrupts you watching this movie, you're not going to be there with, with the characters. But if you're really yeah. if you're really watching the movie and giving it any kind of attention, when that happens, you're fucking feeling it. You're, you're right there yeah. with these people, and then after that, you've accepted what this movie's going to do. And then you're then you're not just on the ride like you you're it's like a first person experience you are with red you are in his mind you're you're you guys were talking about acid trips like you are mentally absorbed into this movie and then you're with this guy for like what's about to unravel and then then we're meeting like human cenobites and cenobites folks if you haven't seen Hellraiser they're the Hellraisers yes. they're demons that come out of a puzzle <laughs> box but in this movie. Human Cenobites, like they're permafried trippers called the Black Skulls, who've gotten like a bad batch of heroin or something from a guy called the Chemist, which we'll, we meet him later, who's really just like a gatekeeper. Like, what's cool about this movie is it really it follows like the Joseph Campbell mytho- mythological like hero's journey. Like th- later on, there's going to be like a whole bunch of stuff that relates to like the innermost cave and a mentor and even an elixir, right? Because he. Because Red, at some point in this movie, has a jar, which is like the elixir that, that gets him tripping like the like the villains, so he can mm. get to their level that he needs to be at yeah. to, to deal with mm. them. But, I mean, like, they even have a scene where the, the, the hero is literally forging a weapon for the quest. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, I he, love that scene. <laughs> I mean, yes. again, we say, like, he's this outdoorsy guy who lives in the woods in these mountains. In the, in the movie, it says the Shadow Mountains, which well, that's all bullshit made up but the fact that he's in his garage or whatever his little workshop and he's like melting metal down to make a fucking axe to go get revenge and slay the monsters which are humans which is that's more terrifying like the fact that the hellraisers in this movie are people that want to act demonic that's to me that's much scarier than demons that might pop out of hell is a human being willing to put on the skin of a demon and act like a demon and do terrible things to other humans that's fucking scary as shit, brothers. That's some scary fucking shit, man. Scary shit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy but, clues there about how they get along, too. It seems yeah. like they're just parasites. They just go on to some isolated cabin and do whatever the heck they want to whoever man. and take over for a while and then move on. Yeah, you're right. They right. kind of – they just like yeah. absorb something and then it, once the resources are exhausted, you're right. They move on to the next thing, but – um, when he's trying to figure out what the deal is with these people, he goes and visits, uh, Red goes and visits like what might, what might be his mentor buddy, like an old Marine, like maybe they're in the service together or something. I kind of get the feeling like they know each other from a previous life or lifestyle, yeah. right? Um, I think the actor's name is Bill Duke, but he's from the Bill Predator. fucking Duke, yeah. Yeah. And the, is yes. this is this not the greatest cameo of all time, Nick? It's so good, dude. <laughs> incredible. Like, I haven't seen him in forever, yeah. Yeah. Damn, because well, like, like I love him in uh, beautiful. like between like uh, Predator, like John mentioned in Commando, like this guy was everywhere in the eighties. Like he was yeah. like one Action of Action Jackson. Yeah, 
Man, you know, it's crazy, dude. Look him up, though. Like, in addition to being an actor, he has, like, a shit ton of uh, directing credits. He's, like, a, he's directed a shit ton. Oh, oh nice. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I know he does, like, a lot of film school-related stuff, and he, he helps a lot of younger people get started, and he's, like, on these – like, go to YouTube. Like, you can see, like, his master class with Bill Duke. It's kind of cool. Um, oh, really? Nice. Yeah, kind of that kind of stuff. But it was just great to see him. I didn't know he was still doing anything, really. Um, but he, and you'll listen to his wisdom. You'll take it for sure. And then like in that same scene, Nick Cage is like unraveling and he, he's like as red and he goes something like, it's crazy evil, man. I got to deal with crazy evil. And he's like trying to express to his friend, you don't get it, man. Like you you don't get it. You know know, know what I mean? Like he's like, you know, and he's like, well, you're not coming back from this. And then, um, you know, then he takes his little Bronco, which is like a, seems like a special car and he's going to do things with it. And then he makes a couple mistakes. I couldn't believe that he gets caught in the monster's lair again. Like he barely got out of it before, and then he then he's stuck there again. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a great scene. He tried to do something, and then you know, jacked up right in the first like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I want to talk about best death scenes. Dave, what is the best death in the movie? Oh God, um, probably the um, the cult leader with the uh, the sword you mentioned and just going right into the guy's throat. Uh, or, or excuse me, his mouth spits blood all over fucking Nicholas Cage. Oh, you, oh, you're talking about the lieutenant. He's not the leader. He's like the right hand man. You're talking That's about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. he catches oh, up. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, he just like shoves it in his mouth and just. Ugh. And yeah. what the guess, hell was that guy watching on TV? Holy cow. <laughs> Are you talking about the horn? Cheddar Goblin? Uh, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. You're ta- oh, when he comes back to his house after after the brutality, and then, like, he, uh... Yeah, yeah. There's a, there is a commercial in the movie for, like, a, a mac and cheese product called the Cheddar Goblin, which is incredible. Yeah. I wish it existed. Everybody would buy it at the store. I don't, they should make the Cheddar Goblin, like, a Funko Pop doll or something. That'd be that'd be really fun. Um, But, Nick, you're, you're... What? What, Adam? Maybe hunt. Oh, uh, yeah, it made everybody hungry. That's why like, if I see pizza in a movie, it doesn't matter what movie it is, then it's like, oh, shit, i got to make a pizza. Um, <laughs> all right, Nick, what is your favorite death death scene in the movie? We're talking about horror films, folks, so we got to examine the murder. I mean, that's yeah, just yeah. part of it. Uh, the chainsaw death. Oh, the chainsaw that's fight. Yeah, it's, so, really it's cool like a super elaborate chainsaw yeah. fight. The only more elaborate chainsaw fight might be in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. But this, yeah. the chainsaw fight in this movie is pretty intense. But it's it, he, crazy. but I mean, like Red gets so many chances. Like the fact that he puts down his little axe and then goes for a chainsaw that he doesn't even under he doesn't know any like that's not his chainsaw. Like not the one he uses at work. He has no idea if it has any gasoline in it or anything. Like and then obviously it's not working right away. And the tension's racking up because you're like, oh, we don't know what's gonna happen here. Like there's there's no all bets are off. He keeps getting captured by all the monster people. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. We don't know. And um, that brings me to Adam. Put us on a clear path here. What is your favorite death in the movie? Mandy stole the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an amazing death scene. Wow. I, I mean, mean technically, he's not wrong. It's just the most gut punching one. Wow. Yeah. It's it's the worst. So so so. Adam gets Adam gets the gold ribbon tonight, folks, or the bloody ribbon. Yeah, it should be a red ribbon. He gets the prize for spoiling it. I didn't even tell you that Mandy was the one who burnt alive. Like Adam just said, Mandy's the best. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I didn't say how she died, did I? I don't know. Maybe I fucked it, it up. It's out of the bag now. No, Mandy lives. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the best death <laughs> scene is the guy uh, where Nicolas Cage has already dealt with like uh, his captor, and he's walking around in the house. And there's this big coked up behemoth when he's still normal. He hasn't touched the, the elixir and, and he gets tossed around and he ends up being able to kill the guy almost uh, on accident. Like, obviously, he wants to kill the guy, but his ability to do so is compromised because this guy's beefy and huge and the guy's, you know, throws his weight on him and ends up killing himself. Well, the uh, but yeah, the big guy as you described as the behemoth, he gets his metal dick knife dick stuck in the floor. And what the hell was that thing? Wow, I don't know. Yeah. But did did you see the quick shot of the old couple that owned the house? Like he clearly did something to them with that contraption. You yeah, know what I, I mean? Like the, it, the butt was all bloody or something. Yeah. Well, oh, 
Well, yeah. I, I was going to leave it up to the imagination, but oh, Nick okay, wanted to bad. tell you. Nick wanted to tell you exactly what it was. Uh, but then, but that's, but, but yeah, but that scene that or that scenario that that's where they have the elixir because he drinks the infected heroin, and then like the innermost cave is probably the underground church where he's got to have like the boss fight or what we think is going to be a boss fight. Um, do, yeah. you, do you guys agree with the script devices that are being used in this movie? You, the I innermost cave, the hero's journey, all that shit. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, other thing that impresses me about this movie is um, we talk about how complex it is, but if you talk about just plot, just simple plot, it's the simplest of plots, really. Yeah. Uh, but it's got so many other details and layers going on. Well, that's what Panos said. I mean, that's what he meant. Like, if you watch that uh, featurette that Shudder has, was like he was saying that it not not what the story is, but how you tell it, like how you arrive at these places with these characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is is like more important. We've which, we've seen this story like in Death Wish or whatever a hundred times. Yeah, like, but yeah, but the way he did it was, I felt like I was watching something I've never seen before. Hmm. All right, for sure. So let's talk I, about the cult for a minute. Um, let's talk about the cult leader. Uh, what do we think about Jeremiah, Adam? Jeremiah was <laughs> certainly one of the creepiest on-screen villains <laughs> that I've ever seen in a film. It was. It was so impressive, uh, his ability to really go there, uh, a total narcissist, just, hmm. and everybody else was going along with uh, him, his ultimate in narcissism and murderous uh, psychopathy, and uh, what he brought to the role, like he was fragile in places, but then he was like stern and making sure that he kept his people in line, and you just got to see the dynamics of how everyone related to, other, uh, to each other, and then there was like, uh, the girl that was pretty much being used in a prisoner, and I don't know, just there's so many. And then there's the old needy woman, and just the, how it all broke down, and you know, having faithful troops. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Nick, what interesting you... hierarchy. Oh yeah. Hey Nick, what do you want to add to that? I totally agree with him, and I think everything Adam said, I totally agree with. And there was a scene actually where he looked in the mirror and was like questioning himself, and that just shows like. He was a vulnerable villain, but when he needed to be strong, he was strong. I, he scared the shit out of me in this movie. Hmm. One of the best villains I've seen in years, to be honest. Do you know he's like one of the original actors from the first Law and Order show? <laughs> no, no way, really? Yeah. I'm gonna Google this. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What? Oh man. And talk and talk about a brave performance by this guy. Like getting just <laughs> oh, butt naked. Like, whoa. Oh yeah, and getting laughed at being naked. I know. Oh my gosh, I know. Like that's some balls. I guess. Oh, well, I mean that's a major that's a major plot device that he can't win over. You know, the woman that he kidnapped and drugged and tried to manipulate into believing the fantasy. You know, he could he couldn't, and then yeah. and then we obviously know what that leads to. But I guess that swings around to Dave. What do you think about Jeremiah? Um, I mean he he's kind of he's kind of simultaneously creepy as shit and also a joke. Hmm. Um. Yeah, you know, especially yeah. with you know talking about Mandy laughing at him. I mean, he's his music shit. He's like a, he's a wannabe Charles Manson, but he's at least found a, a core group of people that are still willing to follow him. Um, hmm. Creepy performance, though. I mean, I, I can't get that image of our, um, where he's talking to Mandy and like they keep uh, with the editing, they keep fusing his face into hers and back yeah. to him, like him trying to become one with her, but he can't. At least that's yeah. the way I interpreted it. Oh, um, that um, that thing they stabbed into her neck, that hornet thing, that's a real thing. It's called like a hawk wasp. That thing is real. Yeah. Oh, shit. I've seen the oh, – our, our, oh, my – no. Those things, you don't want to fuck with those. <laughs> I've seen them in person. <laughs> so do, do you guys think this is one of the best cult movies or is there a better cult leader like in another movie? What do you think, Dave? Um – I, I'm sure there's there's better cult leaders in terms of you know actually being successful or something. Um, he's he's unique. I mean, he is creepy as shit. Hmm. Um, I think he was meant to be taken as a joke. I mean, but uh, except with this core group of people, like that's but that's my interpretation. Oh, you're oh you're saying like he managed to drug and trick like seven I, people, I, but that's a, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like the filmmaker clearly took a stance of like this guy he's scary but he's really a joke. Like if you really tear tear but, down But his isn't walls. that isn't he suggesting that's the core of all the all cult leaders, right? Fair enough, yeah, true. I don't know. A Adam, you got anything to add to that one? Nope. 
All right, Nick, you want to chime in? <laughs> or are we gonna move would you on? would you consider the guy from Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, the guy who pulls the thing out of the heart, a cult leader? Oh, that's a yes. good. I, I don't know. They might be a legitimate registered uh, nonprofit five hundred three organization in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm just don't, saying, like, that, don't take my pick, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. When I was a kid, that stuff jacked me up. So oh yeah, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. The heart, the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart yeah. Well, hell, then if we're gonna expand it out, we'll just say, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Master. If you want to go after something like that. Oh jeez. <laughs> wow. Ooh. <laughs> oh man, man. Tom Cruise wants to sponsor this podcast now. You know who was like a who was a cult leader in the making is Jim Car- Jim Carrey's character in uh, the Cable Guy. I could see him taking over like a little uh, organization of like TV yeah. people, you know. Um, but okay, so now let's let's get let's really think well, about our final thoughts about about this movie. Well, I had uh, a pick. You had a what? You pick for a cult leader? Yeah, I got a I got a pick for a cult. Well, leader. we've already uh, moved on. I gave you a chance. You were you were not you know you were, you weren't with it. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I wasn't first here, so uh, uh, I thought I was second. But anyway, Twelve Monkeys, Brad Pitt, leader of the Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah, which is anybody knows Twelve Monkeys is based on a French thing called La Jetée. They forced that down our throats in film school. Actually, they made us watch La Jetée like over and over and over and over and over and over again. Watch these stills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You could might say all film schools are cults. Actually, there's a lot of they're not accredited. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right uh adam since you're talking so much on this episode what are your final thoughts of mandy Uh, i just wanted to say a couple words about uh one one is my favorite line from the movie Hmm. um and it's uh not you rip my shirt it was blood for blood i like as soon as i heard that guy like talk like that (laughs) I didn't know what kind of movie I was watching. <laughs> Where are we going with this? Oh, Where is this movie going? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing is the soundtrack is absolutely amazing and immersive. It was from uh, a guy named Johan Johansson. Unfortunately, he has passed away. This was posthumously uh, released. And uh, the soundtrack is, is beautiful. It is It is something else, and it definitely... Uh, is a, a gigantic aid to this movie being so successful and able to be able to pull people in like it is. So, kudos goes out and rest in peace. Hmm. To the composer. Oh yeah, this was his final film according to all the articles that I read. It's a beautiful yeah. score. Yeah, yeah it's uh, incredible. Yeah. Um, Dave, what are your final thoughts on this one? Um, you know, I think this is a great uh, bridge between what's been going on in the last four or five years, which is like the art house horror movie. Um, I think this kind of bridges the gap between art house horror and exploitation and a beautiful marriage. Um, hmm. It has, you know, Beetle, like this guy, the guy behind the camera, clearly it has more going on than just like, let's have shock value. Like, let's also like make it beautiful. Like, you know, um, I just love somebody taking this much thought into an exploitation movie, essentially, which is something that's very rare. So, go see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I second the soundtrack. If you have a great stereo system, um, it's a fucking great surround sound experience, uh, like with the music and everything. It's it's like he, he really thinks everything out between the visuals and the sound. Um, so Wow. Well, Nick is like Mr. Soundtrack, so I don't know if you're going to jump on the soundtrack on this one or if you had any other the, thoughts. These guys, these guys already did that. I only have two things to say. One would be the cinematography is freaking incredible. This movie looks beautiful with the reds and the tones. Mm-hmm. and like There's parts where like a guy's driving, and they like probably put a bunch of red light behind, so it hits the trees. I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, why do people not do that? Yes, I, I, I was looking at that too, yeah. right? Like what? It's just yeah. a simple shot of driving down a country road. Like, but you're right. It did put pop some red out. lights on the trees, and it just makes everything just the colors just pop. And then my second thing is, is I watched this movie two days ago, and I'm still thinking about that. And how many movies you watch that you just like? You're like, oh, that was a good movie, and then you don't yeah. think about it, right? This movie has been haunting me. Well, like yeah. I said, yeah, it's for sure. Beautiful. I've seen this three times yeah. now, and, and yeah. it's and and I like John said, I, I've seen it three times, and this the third time I watched it today. And I'm still catching new shit in it. It's it's mm. very layered. 
This is a very uh, haunting movie, and I fucking love well, it. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, it would be great if our audience actually, like, uh, took a look at this movie and then, like, you know, emailed us or posted back to us what they thought. I'd really, really love to hear people's interpretation of this movie because all I really want to say in my my final thoughts is almost every character in the movie says literally, this is a dream. At the end of the movie, he's driving out of one of her paintings. He, oh my he God, hallucinates yeah. about her. I, I'm really convinced that Red died when they stabbed him. I think he's dead. I think he's, his whole quest is like his him his brain dying, and this is his like last fantasy of going to mm. get revenge revenge for his girlfriend or fiance or whoever man he was to him. But literally, I mean, he like I said, one of the major clues is almost almost literally every character, at least four or five of them, says this is a dream. And then, as I said, he's driving out of the painting towards the end of the movie, right? So I, I, I mean, unless I'm like really off base here, I think maybe it's suggestive. It might be open ended, but I really think they're suggesting that um, when they're talking about you know religious sacrifices and he gets stabbed, I don't think he ever got off the thing that he was um, barbed wired to. I don't, I don't think Red is alive. I think uh, can I. I'd like to add a little bit here. I think he was crucified, and that when they stabbed him underneath the rib cage, it was just like when they stabbed Christ underneath the rib cage and uh, broke the heart or whatever, and the blood flew out. I mean, that's a uh, biblical. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then uh, he, he, the whole movie then is uh, it could be a brain thing, it could be a resurrection uh, and a, a resurrection slash re- revenge. Hmm. Revenge erection. Hmm. And then I didn't know I do not, I did not know that George E. Scott was in a haunted house type movie called oh, The Changeling. Yeah. Apparently my boys here huh. on the Binge Watchers crew know about this movie. But next week we're gonna be talking ago. about Changeling. We're gonna review that movie, so stay tuned for that, folks. Another great show for you. I had a good I had a hell of a time, but my I, I think Nick is gonna say I had such a good time because of these uh these um, bang energies that I've had one and a half so far. <laughs> John is on a roll. New flavors of those, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, I tried the most millennial of all, Froze Rose. Right? I actually Ooh. like that one. Do oh, you really? What's, Fight what's me. That? <laughs> Fight <Who is> you. <laughs> I really like that. One. It's it's like a, like a rose wine. If they were trying to make a rose into a, a energy drink, then then bang See, turned I- in one. I know you like the cotton candy. My wife loves it, but I can't stand the cotton candy one. See, and then Adam said he liked Unicorn. I, the one I can't stand is Unicorn, actually. See, I can't oh, stand yeah. that one either. Um, Sugar Rush. <laughs> Although this is not an advertisement for Bang, all if they want. <laughs> no, no way, shape, or form. But you know what? I, we've we've said this word probably a million times and like get over it already. But if you like horror movies, you can try out Shutter.com with our promo code Binge Watchers. That'd be something. And also, thanks to our guest Edward Payson for coming on and talking about his career in horror and TV and stuff like that. That was pretty awesome. And, Such a cool guy. Yeah. And then yeah. next week um, we'll be here for the Changeling. So um, everybody, yeah. good night from the Binge Watchers, and we'll see you next time. Same podcast channel. I don't know. We're like everywhere. I don't even know where to tell them to go. Oh, our website. That'd be good. That'd be good, right? <laughs> That'd be good. We have one. You should go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, BWpodcast.com. Yeah, nice. Or yeah, and then go to if you're Shutter, subscribe with bingewatchers.com and watch Mandy. Nice. Talk, or next totally week's movie, Mandy. The Changeling, ahead of time. Yeah, get ahead of us. That's the thing. That's Watch why all the things, dude. Like, I mean, you're gonna become like... a subscriber after the trial. You're gonna say, "I'm gonna pay for it because it's that great." I do. I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> I've been it paying for it since October. I oh it. man, I'm addicted to it. It is a good platform. I like the live channels. Where it shows, oh, like, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't know what to watch? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's previewing. It's so cool. I'm yeah. actually kind of overwhelmed. Like, we're not doing the advertisement anymore, folks. This is just, like, legit. Like, just being <laughs> yeah. a just being a movie fan, I'm overwhelmed when I get on there. Because I, like, there's so much stuff. Like, I feel like I'm going to pop a vein or something in my in my head. Because I don't know where to go. Especially if you're a horror fan. I mean, yeah. it has everything. Well, especially their original stuff. Like, I keep stumbling onto their original content. They, like... They put out really great shit that just doesn't get distribution over here. Like, that one cut of the dead. Like, seriously, that's a great fucking movie. Oh, that's like the zombie movie from the Philippines or something, right? 
Yeah, like, uh, I won't say much about it because I kind of went in somewhat blind, and uh, the be- the less you know about it, the better. Hmm. The less you know about us, the better, so we don't get uh, sued by the IRS either, folks. We- There's no money. There's no money here. Just, yeah, there's just, no money. Just, 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 just people watching movies. Just people watching yeah. movies. You know, yeah, and- we are splitting 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> we are. If you talk about our, if you talk about stars, that's literally what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, killer episode, fellas. Yeah.